0: Chapters 13 and 14 of Lost for Love by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 13. Spring still makes spring in the mind when sixty years are told. Love wakes anew this throbbing heart, and we are never old. Over the winter glaciers I see the summer glow, and through the wild piled snowdrift the warm rosebuds below. Branscombe is not a fashionable watering-place there is neither pier nor band nor has any joint-stock company yet been found eager to experiment on the capabilities of the situation by the erection of a monster hotel eight stories high with louvre windows commanding the wide stretching channel and distant atlantic Branscombe still languishes in obscurity no speculative charlatan has discovered the peculiar balm of its atmosphere, and published it to the world as an Elysium in whose calm breast lurk healing and the renewal of life. Branscombe produces nothing except a little lace. The patient work of women and children is celebrated for nothing. Nobody in the accepted sense of the word was ever born at Branscombe. The name of the village figureth not in the biographical dictionary. Nothing ever comes from Branscombe there is not so much as a ruined castle historically famous in the shadow of whose walls the frivolous may picnic one dilapidated martello tower alone marks the landscape why built it is rather difficult to imagine for it is hardly within the limits of the possible that any hostile invader would ever essay to land at Branscombe. the cliffs are bold and high and of a dark red clay rugged and crumbling-looking as if of so loose a fabric that they might slip down into the ocean at any moment with the briefest warning Irregular in outline, grandly picturesque, is that western seaboard, while the inland landscape is fair as paradise. Fishing is the chief, or indeed the only, resource of Branscombe. The village proper, the original Branscombe, is but a collection of fishermen's huts and a public house or two. That Branscombe, which visitors affect and which calls itself a watering place, boasts a little bit of parade, bounded by a roughly built sea wall, a dozen or so of smallish, lowish houses with bow windows much wooden balcony and veranda and gardens abutting on the parade on the higher ground beyond this spot certain adventurous builders oppressed with the builder's speculative propensity and with no more promising field for its exercise have tacked on a few meagre villas standing desolate in quarter-acre enclosures which neither cultivation nor climate has educated into gardens there is the beginning of a terrace five slim bow-windowed houses breasting the stormy winds on the rise of a hill houses inhabited by the wealthier of the fishermen whose wives and families subside into kitchens and outhouses whenever fortune favors them with lodgers all the year round the fly-blown cards hang in the parlor windows but only in the glare and blaze of the summer solstice come visitors to Branscombe. then perchance a few families from long sutton enliven the scene troops of noisy children who revel on the beach and scare the sea-gulls with their still harsher voices a pair or two of maiden sisters who pace meekly up and down the narrow path atop of the rugged cliff and sniff the briny breezes from the atlantic and congratulate themselves on the acquisition of a store of health to be put away like the household linen or the best glass and china for future use ocean's strand at Branscombe is hard and stony there is no stretch of level sand for the delight of youth and infancy no chalky cave where young mothers can sit and gossip and make pinafores while their little ones raise those frail and perishable castles which seem fit types of future endeavour and its vain result the friendly homely beauties of ramsgate and broadstairs are not here but in their stead a certain wild picturesqueness a certain rugged grandeur not without its charm the branscome season that halcyon period when the parade and the five villas and the six houses in the terrace are wont to brim over with human life and the local butcher will display as many as six legs of mutton pendant from his grim array of iron hooks on a saturday morning had not yet begun the local grocer stationer linen draper and fancy repositor had not yet ordered his summer stock of one dozen pairs buff boots thirteen as twelve the two bathing machines which enjoyed a monopoly of the branscome bathers still hibernated in the darkness of their winter shed in a word branscome had not yet awakened mr topsaw the long-sutton auctioneer land surveyor and house-agent had therefore ample room and verge enough for his selection of a house adapted to the requirements to use mr topsaw's familiar phrase of a gentleman of property and his daughter and affording accommodation for the gentleman of property's friends under these fortunate circumstances mr topsaw naturally chose the most expensive of the villas and took care to inform the proprietress thereof that terms were not a consideration to the gentleman of property his own profit by the transaction being five per cent on the entire rental to say nothing of the promise of a sovereign down on the nail which mr Topsy extorted from the lone widow who kept the house by way of dowser as he expressed it as a mark of gratitude for his selection of her above her fellows when he had the world of ranscomb all before him were to choose and might so easily have carried the sunshine of his favour elsewhere it appears in the common order of things that when a variety of detached dwellings besprinkle the outskirts of a town or a village, the dwelling last erected and farthest from the station, if station there be, and all other amenities of the settlement, is the largest and most architecturally pretentious of the number. This was the case with Branscombe its ultimate thule was a stuccoed villa of the italian gothic order surmounted by a campanile tower whose sides were open to the winds of heaven and whose roof had been copied from the tender simplicity of an extinguisher the house stood higher than its neighbours on a road that ascended gradually from the low-lying village to the level of the cliff divided from its margin by a cornfield there was a garden or arid tract of land which grew wallflowers, stalks a scanty herbage that passed for grass and in their due season marigolds and mignonette one lonely monthly rose languished against the stuccoed wall and by way of wood a belt of scanty bushes of the coniferous or seaside tribe shaped like the plumes that adorn a hearse had been planted within the open iron rail that divided the grounds from the dusty road this domain which did not boast as much cedar as would have made a pencil nevertheless derived its name from that stately tree and was called the cedars remote and solitary as the place was it enchanted flora it was at least different from fitzroy square that vast sweep of ocean with its infinite variety refreshed her eye as water pools restore the traveller in arabian deserts she declared herself enraptured and showered grateful kisses upon her father's grizzled hair as he sat by the drawing-room window the summer merit of the cedars consisted in its walls being almost entirely window and rested after a fifteen miles coach journey from long sutton how good of you to come here papa she exclaimed and how clever of you to think of Branscombe, instead of letting me drag you off to brittany or somewhere tiring you to death with steamers and rails and diligences and goodness knows what i should think this must be quite as good as brittany as wild and grand and picturesque of course there are cathedrals there and ruins i suppose and so on for people to rush about and explore but we can do very well without cathedrals can't we papa or if we have a sudden yearning for gothic architecture we can go to rougemont for a day or two now dearest father say you are pleased with Branscombe, and that is just as nice to-day as when you were a boy she said this with that tender anxious air which had become almost habitual to her of late in her intercourse with her father a sad foreboding of sorrow to come had been creeping gradually home to her loving heart the fact of her father's altered health had become a stern reality beyond his power of concealment that he was weaker than of old more easily tired more subject to pain were bitter truths he could no longer hide from the keen eyes of love but the worse flora knew not she knew not that her father's life hung by a thread and that any moment of the long summer day might be his last she thought him changed grown so much older in one short year but she tried to believe that this was but the natural decline of the strong man's life only the beginning of a long old age Night and day she prayed God to spare him, to spare him for years to come, for all the days of her life. She could not imagine her life without him. Was it possible she could live, leave him lying in his narrow grave, hidden from the sunshine and the glory of the universe, and go on living, and even find some kind of happiness without him? She remembered one of the girls at Miss Mayduke's, whose father had died suddenly, and who had come back to school a few weeks afterwards in her black frocks she had cried a good deal at first in the dismal twilight interval between the studies and at night in the dormitory but her tears seemed to dry quickly enough and she learned her lessons and ate her dinner and looked forward to the holidays just the same as the rest and her voice soon grew loud and clamorous in the playground like the other voices dr ollivant enjoyed branskom almost as heartily as flora he seemed a new man now that he had escaped from the scientific atmosphere of wimpole street all the more so perhaps because he had also escaped from the society of walter leyburne whose demonstrative youth had weighed him down a little perpetually suggesting unpleasant comparisons continually reminding him how he had let youth and all its opportunities of happiness slip by a bitter thought that of one crisis in our lives when supreme happiness was just within our reach and by the sheer perversity and triviality of youth we let it slip a thought to brood over in after years with deepest remorse with grief unspeakable yes verily a sorrow's crown of sorrow but dr ollivant's memory would recall no such hour he only reflected that youth was a wonderful and beautiful thing and that he had sacrificed it upon the altar of science he had put aside his youth altogether bartered it like esau's birthright for his favourite mess of pottage he had won the great race by this very sacrifice Had outstripped the footsteps of his contemporaries and placed himself in the ranks of eminent and successful men who were from ten to twenty years his senior only he had paid the price he had never allowed himself the relaxations or the affections of youth not until of late had the knowledge of his loss come home to him but seeing what a bright thing youth appeared in this stranger he began to ask himself whether he had not been cheated out of a gift that was almost divine if i had known flora chamney ten years ago he thought if fate had made us contemporaries how different my life might have been there were moments brief intervals of infatuation no doubt in which he used to ask himself if it were really too late if he might yet enter the lists with this younger and more attractive rival nothing definite had been said as yet he knew that from mark the young man had hung back somewhat strangely as it seemed to the fond father and yet i'll answer for it he loves her said mark in his impetuous way he would be something less or more than human if he did not answered the doctor but that purblind blind father drew no inference from the speech he had set his heart upon seeing walter and flora married the union would be perfect like a marriage in a fairy tale the idea that human passion could stir the breast of this grave pale doctor with his deep-set thoughtful eyes never entered mr chamney's mind the doctor made the most of his holiday after all happiness is a thing of the present and a man might be happy the day before his execution if the companion his soul loved dearest cheered him in his lonely cell they chartered a fishing-boat put up a rough awning to shelter them from the sun and sailed merrily over those blue waters from after breakfast till dinner-time when mark was tired they made him lie down upon a luxurious bed of sailcloth and carriage rugs and flora read shelley or browning to him i can't say i quite understand what they're driving at he said but it's certainly soothing whereupon he would compose himself to slumber and then after a couple of pages or so flora would tire of a laster or a piscidean, and close her book and talk to dr Olivant. It was curious to discover how little the doctor knew or cared about those modern singers with whose music walter leyburne was so familiar but then on the other hand he had read shakespeare and some of his contemporaries with profoundest love and had homer in his heart of hearts i thought you never read anything but medical and scientific books the girl said wonderingly after he had opened the treasure-house of his memory for her entertainment i very rarely do now i had a passion for those elizabethan poets when i was a lad and for homer i think i half lived in the old greek world a fairyland of dreams till i began to see that science is something nobler than the memory of the past i have shakespeare and homer in my consulting room and take down a volume once in a way when i am more than usually tired but that doesn't happen often the inconvenience i most suffer from is want of time not flagging attention though by the way my thoughts have gone astray sorely lately He said these last words with a regretful look at that innocent young face turned to him so frankly. Ah, what pain she gave him by that too candid friendliness which told him he might be never more than friend. Of course, exclaimed Flora eagerly, you are overworked. Papa is always saying so. See what harm he has done himself by working so hard in the prime of his life, though he will get over all that and grow quite strong again by and by, please God. You ought not to slave like that, Dr. Ollivant it is all very well when one is young but as one grows older i promise to relax my labor somewhat when i am old said the doctor but i can hardly claim the privilege of age yet awhile ancient as i doubtless appear to your young eyes i am not forty indeed said flora she had the vaguest estimate of the various stages of life whether a man were old at forty or only began to be old at sixty In her juvenile imagination, life after thirty was but a downhill progress. Youth, and good looks, with most things that sweeten life, disappear behind the crest of that hill which youth climbs so gaily. She could hardly imagine what the journey was like on the other side. She wondered a little at the doctor's half-complaining tone, as he must surely have put away all youthful aspirations ever so long ago. Was it too late? he asked himself sometimes, with a wild flash of hope she listened with rapt attention when he talked to her his conversation at least could charm her she was even interested in his career curious about that laborious youth which he had spent in parish drudgery or in foreign hospitals then he opened his heart and mind for her and painted a life that was not altogether unheroic not without some human interest but not a whisper not a breath of youth's enchantment nothing of love or woman's loveliness once deeming him so far removed from herself by reason of his advanced years she was bold enough to ask a question that to him was startling in all you tell me you have never mentioned she began rather shyly and then was obliged to reconstruct her sentence i wonder that in all your travels you never met any one whom you whom you cared for well enough to marry he looked at her with that strange half-bitter look whose meaning she could not read curious he said wasn't it curious that i didn't tread the beaten track fall in love with some respectable young woman at twenty marry at twenty-three go back to Sutton and set up as a family practitioner walk in the footsteps of my father in short and look forward with placid resignation to the day when my name should be written under his on the family tombstone i dare say all that is the happiest manner of life if modern youth could only put aside his passionate aspirations for something better after all are not the lives of all men written in water our petty struggles to win fame are for the most part futile or the reward of our labours as perishable as the grecian's crown of wild olive yet perhaps a doctor whose life is in a manner a hand-to-hand conflict with the great mystery of pain may take a purer pleasure out of his smallest victories than the man who wastes his nights in verse-writing or his days in painting pictures which could have been painted better three hundred years ago our profession with some touch of pride, is at least progressive. "'It is a noble profession,' said Flora, "'and I can't wonder you are proud of it. "'But please don't run down our poor painters "'even if Raphael and Titian did paint better. "'They had popes and emperors and people, you know, "'to encourage them. "'I hope you don't despise painters?' "'Hardly. "'Yet I confess there seems to me something rather ignoble "'in any profession which produces only ornament, "'a life entirely given to the cultivation of fancy.' but you haven't told me why you didn't marry first because i put the marriage question out of my mind altogether when i took up the profession of medicine what made up your mind to be an old bachelor no but made up my mind to succeed in my profession before i ventured to contemplate the idea of marriage ah said flora with a compassionate sigh that was a pity because because what he asked when she stopped in the middle of her sentence because it takes such a long time to succeed in any profession and please don't be offended if i say anything that sounds rude by the time a man has succeeded he must be an old bachelor an old bachelor i suppose now in your mind that means any one on the wrong side of thirty why yes at miss mayduke's we used to call thirty old but i dare say that's only a schoolgirl's notion Do you think it quite preposterous now for a man of my age much nearer forty than thirty to have some idea of marriage not at all she exclaimed eagerly and a gleam of gladness shot in the doctor's dark eyes provided you married a suitable person the pleased look faded as quickly as it had come what do you mean by a suitable person someone of my own age i suppose of your own age or a few years younger not an old maid with disagreeable prim ways or a cat and a parrot but some charming widow there was a widow who had two daughters at miss mayduke's her husband had been in the china trade silk or tea or something she used to dress so stylishly thanks i abhor stylish widows if i were forced to make an election between two evils i would rather have the old maid with her cat and parrot i should have a greater chance of peace no flora i will never marry unless unless what unless i can love and be loved again laura twirled the leaves of her book and gave another little compassionate sigh faint as the summer breath that stirs a fallen rose-leaf poor infatuated man she was really sorry for him as if any one could win all the brightest things of earth and after having given his youth to the swift race for fame turn back and say oh but i also desire the joys of the rose-garden why the end of the race leaves him far off in the bleak desert the shingly patagonian waste of middle age where there is no rose-garden she felt a curious half-scornful half-tender pity for the grave doctor after this and thought more of him and his lonely life than she had thought until now wondering whether he would ever see anyone of a suitable age whom he could like trying to imagine what kind of sentiment love must be between people who were past thirty whether the gentleman would write romantic love-letters and the lady would blush and tremble at his footsteps just the same as in youth she could not imagine anything so incongruous as middle age and romance she could only picture the courtship a business transaction the marriage a sober prosaic affair the bride dressed in silver grey silk feeling therefore the utter impossibility of the doctor ever finding his way back to the rose garden she was particularly kind to him dangerously fatally kind for she inflamed his passion to fever point chapter fourteen it is a painful fact but there is no denying it the mass are the tools of circumstances Thistle-down on the breeze, straw on the river, their course is shaped for them by the currents and eddies of the stream of life. The Chamneys had been more than a fortnight at Branscombe, and Mr. Leyburne had not yet made his appearance. Flora began to feel deeply wounded by such persistent neglect. The doctor had been twice to and fro between London and the little Devonshire watering-place, while he could do so much for friendship and old lang syne for the remembrance of those boyish days when mark chamney had been his champion and protector walter could make no sacrifice take no trouble and yet she had dared to think he would have been moved by a warmer feeling than friendship after all i must have made a mistake she said to herself with a regretful sigh as she put on her coquettish little hat to go for a seaside ramble with the indefatigable doctor who had only come down from london that afternoon and yet was ready for an evening walk I have been deceived by the kindness of his manner that flattering manner which evidently means nothing what should a poor little school girl know about a young man's feelings we never saw any young men at miss mayduke's except the drawing-master who must have been thirty if he was a day and we were always making mistakes about him i know cecilia todd fancied he was breaking his heart for her till he calmly announced to us one morning that he had been engaged for the last five years to the music mistress in the school at highbury it was not without a good many gentle sighs that flora resigned herself to the idea that mr leyburne had never cared very much about her that he only regarded her as a young person whose company was agreeable enough to amuse the leisure of an idle evening and no more even after she had settled this matter in her own mind she found herself just as anxious about the arrival of the london express or rather the blundering rumbling old coach which brought passengers from the long sutton station just as expectant of a lightly-built active-looking figure ascending the steep road that climbed the cliff to the cedars she looked out for him every day from the gothic window of her bleak little dressing-room and Branscombe seemed less beautiful and yonder waste of waters less magnificent every evening when the passengers from the coach had time to go their several ways and still walter came not i should have thought he would have hated london in such weather as this and would have seized upon any excuse to get away from it mused flora those grimy old streets those everlasting squares that smoky atmosphere who would stay in london when the woods are full of flowers and the sea changes colour every hour with the changing sky a painter too who ought to be so fond of nature it's all very well to talk about finishing his picture but now the academy is open there can be no reason for his being in a hurry he can't exhibit the picture before next year Mr. Chamney expressed his wonder at the young man's non-appearance, and those remarks of his were somehow painful to Flora. She felt as if it were her fault that Walter Leyburne was slow to come. If she had been prettier or more attractive, she told herself, he would not have been such a laggard. Her father had hinted his wish about Walter too broadly for her to be unaware of that fancy. She knew that he would have liked Walter Leyburne to fall in love with her, that he had given the young man every encouragement to avow himself it was humiliating to think that he had hoped in vain that she lacked the power to win the lover her father would have chosen for her i'm a poor little insignificant-looking thing she said as she contemplated her small face in the glass a face whose beauty was pale and delicate as the loveliness of a wood anemone a little white flower that a child would tread upon unawares while darting after a tall gaudy foxglove Flora saw no charm in the small oval face, the tender grey eyes with their dark lashes, the little cupid's bow mouth. She felt that she lacked the splendour of beauty which a painter would naturally require in the object of his adoration. What was she compared with Gulnar the Magnificent? That Gulnar whose dark and florid charms, eyes big as saucers, lips carmine and pouting she had copied in crayons. She felt herself a very poor creature indeed, and wondered that she had ever been so foolish as to fancy water could care for her. This conviction had taken deep root, when one warm June evening brought a glad surprise to dispel it. They had been for a long drive to Didmouth, a sister watering place with greater pretensions both to beauty and fashion than humble Branscombe. The doctor had been with them, the day lovely, and they had dawdled away a couple of hours pleasantly enough, lunching at the hotel by the beach, and strolling through the one narrow street, Flora stopping every now and then to look at the lace in rustic shop windows, lace which Mark was ever ready to buy for his little girl. What could be too good or too rare for her who was all the world to him? They had stayed out rather later than usual, and the sun was low when their hired wagonette, a homely vehicle, drove up the hill to the cedars. Leaning upon the gate, with folded arms and cigar in mouth, was a figure Flora knew but too well. Her heart gave a leap at sight of him. All the face of creation changed and brightened in a moment, glorified by Hope's supernal light. She had given him up. She had told herself that he cared nothing for her, set no value even on her sisterly friendship, had never dreamt of winning her love. His presence seemed to falsify all her forebodings. She accepted it at once as the promise of happiness. He cared for her a little, nay, perhaps even loved her, or he would hardly be there. His attitude was the perfection of comfortable laziness, arms loosely folded, eyes gazing seaward cigar-smoke curling upward in blue wavelets against the rosy evening light his gaze was so intent upon yonder expanse of ocean his thoughts so completely abstracted that he did not even hear the wheels of the wagonette did not look up till it stopped in front of him then indeed he was all smiles and brightness made haste to open the gate assisted flora to alight and shook hands effusively with mr chamney i thought you had forgotten all about us Said Flora's father, a little wounded by his neglect. No, indeed, but I've had so much to do, and I've been rather worried. You look like it late hours, I dare say, young gentleman. Never mind, you'll leave off that sort of thing when you've a nice little wife to keep you in order. Walter coloured like a girl and stole a guilty look at innocent Flora, whose face was radiant with happiness. No one could mistake that expression, no one could misread the deep joy shining out of those clear eyes. Dr. Ollivant had seen her face light up just now, and knew what that happy look meant. What would he not have given to have caused that brightness? What sacrifice would he have counted too costly? Indeed, I did not forget your kind invitation, Mr. Chamney, pleaded Walter, but I couldn't get away sooner. I had one or two little bits of business to settle before I could leave London. Business? One would think you were a merchant. However, here you are we must be satisfied if we get the leavings of your time mustn't we flora added mark with a touch of bitterness of course papa mr leyburne has his profession to think of before everything replied flora in a sweet excusing tone as if she would have forgiven anything in this modern raphael walter colored again he had not touched a brush since the chamneys left town dear miss chamney he said you are always so good i should be miserable if your papa thought i did not value his invitation and the privilege of being down here honestly i could not come sooner my dear fellow do you suppose any one doubts your word said mark heartily some one did doubt it the doctor whose watchful eye had noted the young man's embarrassment that red flag of distress which he had hung out more than once during this brief dialogue there's something not quite right here thought cuthbert ollivant a pity since this foolish child is so fond of him after this they went indoors and sat down to a comfortable tea-dinner and every one seemed happy walter rattled almost as gaily as of old in the cheerful fitzroy square evenings flora sat between her father and the new arrival dr ollivant opposite the table was small and they made the snuggest possible family party the doctor carving and making himself generally useful but not talking very much not by any means so eloquent as he had been wont to be when they were only a trio but no one marked the change mr chamney leaned back in his easy-chair sipping his tea and watching and listening to the two young people it was so pleasant to him to hear their fresh young voices to sun himself in their smiles and glad looks and walter who had little more resistance than a bright water flower which moves with every motion of the stream whereon it grows suffered himself to be beguiled by the influence of the hour and behaved just as if there had been no such person as loo in his existence as if that moonlit journey from thames ditton had been nothing more than a dream flora had hired a piano of course being as little able to exist without music of some kind as the canaries to dispense with their daily rations of birdseed after tea they went to work at the old duets the tender bits of mozart the old-fashioned english ballads which seemed to have been composed on purpose for flora so exquisitely did that fresh young voice express words and melody flora's singing was the one fascination which walter could not resist her talk was not so vigorous or amusing as Lou's; her beauty far less striking or varied but her song never failed to enrapture him while he listened he was her slave Mark Chamney sat at the open window, half in and half out of the room, smoking his cigar and listening contentedly to his little girl's singing. He did not know that it was absolutely perfect of its kind. He only knew that it was just the kind of singing he best liked. It gave him unspeakable happiness to see those two together again, and to fancy that the link which he had dreamed of between them was as strong as ever. He had been unhappy at the young man's apparent hanging back, but he like flora accepted his coming as a sign of loyalty and devotion how could he help loving my little girl thought mark after the singing flora who was now in the highest spirits took walter to see her new domain the garden which grew so little the wall which was to be covered with myrtle and roses when they came back to branscombe next year for they meant to come flora told mr Leyburne, they liked branscombe too well to be tired of it in a single summer you can join us in our ramble if you like, Dr. Ollivant, she said graciously, and then, feeling that she had been somewhat neglectful of her father's friend since Walter's arrival, she added an entreaty. Do come, please, and help me to illustrate the beauties of Branscombe. They call it illustration, don't they, at the Panoramas? Do come with us, Dr. Ollivant. What could he do but obey? Being your slave, what should I do but tend upon the hours and times of your desire? he said with a light laugh and flung away his half-smoked cigar and gave flora his arm as much as to say if i go with you i will have something walter could not very well ask for the other arm which would have seemed like pinioning such a poor little thing as flora so he strolled by her side and they crossed the moonlit grass the moon had grown old and young again since lou's day in the country and went along by the edge of the cliff upon a narrow path that had a delightfully dangerous look and promenaded the little bit of parade where flora made walter admire the quaint old wooden houses with no two windows alike twinkling gaily with lights for visitors had now begun to arrive at Branscombe for the bathing season then she took him down to the pebbly beach which was loose and uncomfortable for the feet but infinitely picturesque a broken irregular line of beach making a shallow bay with fishermen's boats and tackles scattered about in every direction and the whitest most rustic of coastguard stations standing boldly out on a little promontory in the distance you'll paint some delightful sea-pieces won't you asked flora dear little fisher-boys and fisher-girls with ruddy complexions and big feet and hands and their mouths open as if they were in the act of swallowing the sea-breeze and a salt seaweedy look about everything thanks said walter with his languid air unless i felt pretty sure of becoming a hook or a stanfield i couldn't give my mind to seascapes or fishermen's boys or brown-sailed luggers or any of those variety of seacoast life which people so keenly appreciate in every exhibition of pictures i forgot you are going to be a holman hunt or a millet said flora with a shade of disappointment it would have been so nice to sit on the beach all through the sunny morning sheltered by a canvas umbrella watching walter's sketch and improving herself by his example i tried to sketch by myself she said dolefully when we first came but my sea used to get so muddy and my skies would come out like mottled soap so i gave it up in despair you dear foolish child said walter sagely he had come to Branscombe sternly resolved to treat flora in all things as a child a sweet younger sister and to go back unfettered and uncommitted why are you always dabbling in colors instead of trying to master the difficulties of form "'I thought you were going to work at that cast of a foot I gave you.' "'That big muscular plaster of Paris' foot,' sighed Flora. "'I did work at it honestly for the first few days. "'I did it in ever so many positions. "'But feet are so uninteresting. "'And there was the sea, looking lovely before my windows, "'and moist colours are so tempting. "'I couldn't help trying my hand at the little fisher-boats "'and the blue dancing waves.' They left the beach and peeped at the small original Branscombe. the fishermen's cottages sunk below the level of the road which had risen with the march of ages reducing the cottage parlors to cellars it was all quaintly ancient and picturesque and walter owned that for any painter who did not aspire to the classic branscome would be full of subject it's just the place for a man who wants to paint pot-boilers he said there's not a corner of the village that wouldn't make a little rustic bit which would be a safe five-and-twenty guineas before the first week in may was out but thank heaven and my uncle ferguson i can get on without pot boilers. i'll do a little picture for your father though flora if you think he'd like it a souvenir of Branscombe. of course he'd like it he'd be charmed with it how good of you to think of such a thing exclaimed flora and now we must go home or papa will be sitting up too late this was the beginning of a fortnight of summer days in which flora was completely happy dr ollivant went back to his duties the day after walter's arrival promising to return in a fortnight and making as light of the journey as if it had been the hour and a quarter between london and brighton dr ollivant departed but he was not essential to flora's happiness she was indeed happier without him now that she had walter for her companion for she was dimly conscious that let the doctor be never so civil he was not the less antagonistic to mr leyburne cynical speeches seemed to slide unawares from those thin firm lips nay by a simple elevation of the eyebrows the doctor's expressive face could indicate how poorly he thought of this paragon of use. flora felt a relief therefore to be alone with walter and her father to feel that there was no element of cynicism or disbelief in the painter's genius or the painter's future among them so they sailed upon that summer sea or went for long excursions in the wagonette exploring every nook and corner of the country or they dawdled away the long sunlit days on the beach reading sketching dozing mr chamney at least got rid of a considerable portion of the summer afternoons in placid slumber while walter and flora sat beside him talking or reading poetry in low monotonous murmurs slumberous as the gentle splash of wavelets against the beach this holiday of mind and hand this utter idleness beside the sea seemed sweeter than any leisure walter had ever known he was not in love with flora he reminded himself of that fact half a dozen times a day with a remorseful pang when he had been betrayed into some lover-like speech which was calculated to mislead this tender innocent who loved him so well he knew that he was very dear to her he had read the secret a hundred times in the artless face had been told it over and over again by the artless lips she is the dearest little girl in the world, he said to himself, and Chamney is a dear old fellow, and I'm bound to marry her and Then there flashed back upon him the vision of that moonlit road between Kingston and Wimbledon, and memory recalled the words he had said to Louisa Gurner, the stolen kiss in the lane, those deep, dark eyes into which he had looked for one passionate moment with love that wrecked not of worldly wisdom's restraining power, love which in that one moment had been master of his soul love before whose fierce tide all barriers of circumstance had gone down he remembered loo and it seemed a hard thing to forsake her poor loo who had been turned out of her wretched home for his sake perchance with blighted name for the social law of voysey street upon the subject of reputation was stern as the laws of belgravia black sheep lived there and were tolerated but the mark once set upon them remained indelible and they were only tolerated in their character of black sheep and had to suffer the sting of sarcastic reference to past peccadilloes upon the smallest provocation loo had suffered in her tenderest feeling her love for her reprobate father loo had possibly suffered the loss of that irrecoverable treasure woman's good name Mr. Laburn had done his best for her after his lights by placing her forthwith in the care of the Miss Tompions of Thurlow House, Kensington, where she was to be thoroughly grounded in all the branches of a useful modern education. He had told the elder Miss Tompion that he intended his protege to remain in her care three years, and that lady assured him of her power to impart a sound education in that period, and to qualify her pupil for the post of governess to children under twelve years of age. Accomplishments, said Miss Tompion. Are flowers of slow growth but if miss gurner have a taste for music she has cried walter eagerly she may be able to impart instruction in music to girls of twelve after three years painstaking study on her own part she is painstaking i hope walter did not know he knew that this poor girl had worked hard at the dull slavery of household toil that she had a mind quick to learn but could not answer for her perseverance or laboriousness in this new path she was about to tread she is very quick in learning anything he answered and has a remarkable love of literature especially poetry miss Tompion looked doubtful a taste for poetry acquired under the guidance of a cultivated understanding after education has formed the mind is a source of delight to its possessor she said solemnly but an ignorant undisciplined love of poetry in an ill-regulated mind i should consider a fatal tendency and one i should deem it my duty to check even to the verge of severity added miss tompion with an awful look at loo who was crying behind her veil walter recalled this little scene in the primly furnished drawing-room at thurlow house and remembered with keenest pang how Lou had cast herself sobbing on his shoulder at parting it's ever so much worse than voysey street she had whispered to him do do ask father to take me back i'll go back to the scrubbing the dirt the debt anything would be better than this this meant miss tompion's solemn aspect as she stood tall and straight the incarnate image of starched propriety in the midst of that temple of minerva the thurlow house drawing-room an apartment in which not a chair was ever seen out of its appointed space he had left Lou in this lady-like imprisonment after giving a reference to his solicitor which had convinced miss tompion of Lou's respectability a fact she might have been inclined to question had it not been supported by the solicitor's guarantee that claret-coloured silk dress and louisa's striking appearance had gone a little against mr leyburne's protege in the well-ordered mind of the schoolmistress having disposed of louisa's life for the next three years mr leyburne might be fairly said to have relinquished all farther concernment in her fortunes or fate certain quarterly payments he would have to make during her pupilage but at its termination she would go out into the world an independent self-supporting young woman and the thought of her need trouble him no more yet in having done this much he felt as if he had done nothing for her absolutely nothing when weighed against that one stolen kiss in the shadowy lane the image of the absent louisa therefore was apt to come between mr leyburne and flora when he was most inclined to be happy and it always brought perplexing thoughts in its train There were hours when it seemed to him that Flora's sweetness of disposition was the one charm which a man should choose to brighten his life. There were other hours when he thought that Flora might be but a childish helpmate for one who hoped to be distinguished by and by. Mark Chamney looked on meanwhile, innocent as one of the sheep he had reared on the Darling Downs, and told himself that all was well, and his little girl's future a settled thing. Who could see those two together and doubt their love for each other? I always felt that it must be so, he said to himself. I always knew that providence meant them for one another. Providence is too good to leave my little girl alone in a cold, unloving world. God has raised up a heart to comfort and cherish her when I am called away. End of chapters 13 and 14